1: Hello, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Jacob Barrett, and today I have the pleasure of talking with Elizabeth Schachman Heard and Winifred Fowler sullivan about their edited volume, At Home and Abroad, The Politics of American Religion, that came out in March 2021 with Columbia University Press as part of the Religion, and, Religion Culture, and Public Life series. Elizabeth and Winifred, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having us. Nice to be with
1: us. You know, you can address us as Beth and Winnie. Perfect. <laughs> um, so my first question is, can you give a little introduction um, into, the vo- into how this volume came to be um, and how you became involved as editors? Um, there's also, with it being an edited volume, there's quite a um, collection of contributors. So um, I guess I'm also curious in how the contributors came to be. How did this volume... That I'm holding in my hands. How did it? How did it get here? <laughs>
0: well, I mean, it, it, it's um, it's a good story. So uh, Beth and I were working on a previous uh, project, um, also like this one, uh, funded by the Luce Foundation, who we are anxious to thank uh, for the support of this project because. Uh, because that made a big difference in the volume. But we we were working together with uh, Saba Mahmood and Peter Danson on a project called Politics of Religious Freedom, which also resulted in an edited volume. And that was when Beth and I met. Um, we're in different fields, you know. And uh, what was what, one of the things we noticed over the course of that um, project uh, was the distinctive way in which Beth, who is trained mainly in in thinking about American foreign policy and the projection of American power and the sort of religiousness or not (laughs) of that um, effort, and me as a lawyer working primarily domestically, um, that we had these two different views of U.S. political policy and law. And it became just really fascinating to the two of us to see the ways in which um, the US in its projection outward particularly with respect because this is what we were interested in and with respect to religion looked very very different than the story domestically that was told it was telling itself i um, mean and so that's that's really how this this project got started
2: Yeah, I would just add that in terms of the contributors, which once we had this kind of problematic framing where we were thinking in terms of inside, outside, home, abroad, self, other, U.S. world, then we wanted to try to think about different ways to bring together a group of people that could help illuminate this kind of disjuncture that we had identified in a very preliminary sense. And to do that, um, one thing that, that I've learned from working with Winnie, um, she mentioned the earlier project we did, is how important it is uh, not to bring together necessarily people who've already published on this very specific issue, but rather to think about people who could bring uh, a fresh perspective, a different uh, angle, a kind of generative or original take, um, and people that are really pleasant to think with and to work with. And this was kind of part of our uh, slow scholarship (laughs) movement that we were trying to uh, take up to some degree at this point in time. And we wanted a space to just think together about these issues without necessarily issuing some kind of policy solution or memo that would then be taken up by decision makers that would provide the answer to whatever the question was. And so I think that both of us coming off of the Religious Freedom Project, were interested in a space to kind of think about these issues without that kind of um, uh, pressure on us. And um, I really enjoyed this project. I found it to be uh, really interesting and open-ended and generative.
0: yeah, yeah, I, I agree with Beth. I mean, let me say further that um you know maybe one one thing that our 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 primary fields of training have is a bent towards normative proposals. So both um legal scholars and people who work uh, in international relations are oriented towards, you know reform policy, et cetera. And, uh and I think one of the things we found together is an interest in be- in in a more reflective mode. And I do want to say as uh, you know, as Beth has implied, that the questions that we were asking about the divergence of these two pictures, these were genuine questions for us so that you know, as Beth says, the people that the contributors to this volume who were initially actually, people invited to conference uh, workshops on the questions. um, Were people sort of, I guess you would say, people working on the edge of American religion, as it is usually understood? That was sort of our intuition that and mostly younger scholars, not established scholars. um, People who like us were sort of trying to explore this, what what America is when it comes to religion, really along along the edges, both perhaps speaking geographically but also in other ways and um and i had learned from my uh, principal dissertation advisor frank reynolds who is a scholar of thai buddhism but who also um, was the the editor of multiple edited volumes that the successful edited volume uh, comes out of at least two workshops um, and so we were very lucky that Luce supported our having these workshops, and I think that to the extent this volume is a success, it is in part because of the fact that we actually talked to each other. We thought this together. It wasn't that we had a plan and we'd assigned everybody a chapter and a section, but we we all came together. You know, tentatively at first, and uh, and worked through our ideas, then wrote papers, then came back together again, and that process um, is tremendously important, and is something that that Frank thought was uh, essential for good intellectual work. That kind of thinking together.
1: Well, and I think that shows um, that that sentiment comes through in the volume. Um, when I was reading it, it definitely seemed um, each of the chapters are, uh, or each, yeah, each of the chapters are, you know, standalone. They, they can be taken as this person's argument, but it really was, as I was making my way through it, um, I saw the ways that they were speaking to each other and in conversation and after the same exploration of these questions, but, you know, maybe reaching different places or asking different auxiliary questions and ending up, um, in new places. So I think that's, um, really clear and I think led this volume to to be success. It has a different different feel than other edited volumes that I've engaged with. So I really appreciated that. Um, The framing argument of the volume is around this idea that you put forward. We've talked a little bit about it so far and you put forward in the introduction. Um, You call it the shifting and unstable inside outside paradigm. Can you explain what this is and why it's important to think with this framework when talking about politics and um, American religion?
2: Uh, yeah, I'll take a first stab at that. It's a very big question. <laughs> um, as you know, this is kind of the, the motivating um, paradox, uh, disjuncture, disconnect, um, generative um, point to think with, that we took as kind of a launching pad for the volume as a whole. And I think it arose in part because There were, um, at least at the beginning, as we started to think these issues, we were confronted with a series of uh, interesting differences between the way that uh, religion is conceptualized um, as kind of naturally free or coming into freedom in the American context. And on the other hand, in the overseas or abroad context as being something that was always constrained, um, somehow established, less free. And we were interested in that paradox and the ways in which um, law and policy were both reflecting it but also generating this impression in in different ways and in different fora and through different mechanisms. And this is obviously a huge, huge endeavor um, to take on. And I think one of the things that we discovered very quickly, or at least I can speak for myself, I discovered very quickly was the extent to which what we had conceived of as this home or the domestic sphere, as opposed to the foreign or the abroad was itself thoroughly riven and permeated by this very same set of you know, complex histories, dynamics of, uh, of the, the management, the domestication, of religion, Um, and it was just a question of where you looked. So this, in a sense, what we ended up doing, I think, was taking apart this myth of inside, outside, self, other, foreign, and domestic, and saying, look, all of these, uh, these are powerful stories. They're stories of the American story, American exceptionalist story, to be very specific. And in order to understand them well, we not only need to look at this home and abroad binary, but we also need to think about, uh, what happened in what we understand to be the U.S. domestic sphere, um, and also what happens in all of the liminal spaces that we understand to be neither foreign nor domestic, neither home nor abroad. And those spaces became very, I think, important to help us think this question. Um, and David Maldenaro-Rivera's and Greg Johnson's pieces are just the two that jumped to mind right away as um, Puerto Rico and Hawaii, respectively, Um, But there are there's an endless number of really interesting, quote unquote, domestic or liminal domestic foreign cases that shed a very bright light on uh, the political, social and religious construction that we've come to understand as the American domestic, which is then contrasted to something called the foreign.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think that we uh, another way to say that maybe is that we found, of course, that there were abroads at home and homes abroad um, so for example in sarah imhoff's piece on jesse sam or in in israel um, and uh and so the metaphor and metaphors are of course extremely dangerous <laughs> um of you know you don't want to spend too much time thinking about home and abroad as opposed to indoors and outdoors. These are actually, you know, these are are inside and outside. Some of this is sort of geometric, some of this is geographic, some of this is, you know, effective in certain kinds of ways, but also, of course, created and maintained by law. one of the things that's I think become even more evident to me, although since we finished this project, although this is something that Beth and I talked about at the time, was was this distinctively American or is 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 is, is this something that all, countries slash nations slash states slash communities do. Um, and um, and I think we talked a little bit about Turkey, um, Beth, uh, because Beth, Beth had worked some on Turkey. But recently, um, we've had a visitor here, Alessandro Ferrari, who's an Italian uh, lawyer who works on these issues, who's working on a volume um, thinking about the constitutional framing of religion on what he calls the Northern shore and the Southern shore of the Mediterranean. And, you know, as he's talking about the ways in which the French government um, uh, uh, sort of uh, handled religion in Algeria, you see almost the identical dynamics that we're talking about. So that certain aspects, things that would not be acceptable in France, you know, which are sort of settled in France and characterized by, you know, laicite or other kinds of French kind of ways of managing these issues, um, are, are, are radically different in, in the Algerian context. So even relationships between the French government and Catholic religious orders, Catholic religious orders are giving license to do things in Algeria that they are, you know, forbidden to do in France. And so, and as so, so, this kind of uh, yeah, inside, outside, or um, the ways in which states do things abroad that they're not allowed to do at home. If I could just give one more example, Beth and I also enjoyed reading at, together um, this fabulous book called Mr. Mother Country. Um, and which is a, a book about a British colonial lawyer who managed the difference um, between British English law at home and English colonial law. And you see in the British colonial project, all these efforts by Bentham and others to do things legally in British colonies that they would never have been allowed to do at home because um Or would never think of doing at home, and so I'm sorry to go on for so long, but I I do think this is something we kept coming back to, and maybe didn't come, you couldn't do in this volume. But this problem of whether this is American or not—I think that's a very pressing question right now. We have to be very careful in many many ways of assuming that anything is distinctively American, or
1: well, and kind of you know building off of that. one of the things that you talk about in the volume that might not be, um, explicitly like, or are, um, exclusively American, but one of the things that you talk about as being, um, as helping you understand the American, the, U S focus of the volume, um, is how the disestablishment of religion in the U S, um, contributes to the way that Protestant Christianity, um, can strategically in some moments claim religion and be religion and then in other moments strategically be not religion um and i this was really interesting to me um and so i wanted to know a little bit how you see that um shaping not only domestic um policy in the the domestic political landscape but also in the ways that the us plays um on the global stage how kind of disestablishment of religion um shapes and 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 plays with all of that
2: um all right i would just say one thing which was um that i recently uh read uh this very very um interesting book um on catholicism in france uh, and i saw so many of the same dynamics where we uh kind of a, a capacity to shape shift is kind of the terminology that we used and the capacity of the majoritarian tradition to uh, kind of elide attempts to pin it down and to uh, appear in different guises in different forms and different uh, under different assignations you could say almost whether it's cultural or whether it's quote religion And so I would say just building off something that Winnie made in response to your last question, the point that she made, uh, that this is definitely something that is not exclusively American, but that may rather be a kind of dynamic that we see of um, modern governance of uh, religious difference in general um, by the state. And so uh, having said that, I do think that there are specific i mean there always are going to be specificities different forms of governance different histories different contexts linguistic differences and so on um so i think what we were trying to get at here is in some sense without suggesting that it is unique or that there's nothing like it in the world that there is something rather distinctive about uh well i would say the the phenomenology of disestablishment or Winnie might want to put an emphasis i'm not sure but on the legal phenomenology of disestablishment and so what does this all look like? How do how do we come to understand ourselves as living in a world in which, quote, religion is, quote, disestablished? And what does that mean then when we turn to other contexts, um, whether they are internal or external, geographically speaking, um, to, in other words, non-majoritarian contexts and try to understand uh, the politics of social difference and religious difference. Uh, so I think we were trying to um, trying to understand some of that distinctiveness that has come with the American project with regard to disestablishment. What does it feel like? What's the what's the sensorium? Um, here I'm thinking also of Courtney Bender's chapter, which I think is a really interesting experiment and study and uh, particular sensibility. Um, which is uh, she identifies um, from this sort of, I want to say bird's eye view, but it's really more of an airplane eye view um, out over America and what that uh, helps us to understand about American exceptionalism. So, again, it lands in really different places, um, but I think there are points of contact that, that make for an interesting conversation.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that there are, um, just, just to, to talk a little, little bit about the distinctiveness of the US context a little better, um, and this is something that's also been brought home to me partly through my conversation with, uh, with, with our friend Alessandro Ferrari, is that when uh, continental Europeans talk about um, this set of issues, and we do have many things in common, but the church and the state have a kind of reality in continental Europe that they simply don't have in the US. Um, I'm fond of saying that we do not have a church or a state. Um, we the people are in charge of both uh, religion and governance in, in ways that are very deeply in, embedded in our constitutional order. And um, I think there are ways that that disavowal both in the creation of a government of limited powers in the constitution, the federal government, and also lacking the sort of plenary sovereign power that that, that European states, for example, and other others have, um, and also the disavowal of the church uh, creates um, a, a kind of distinctively unstable field in both areas. Um, it's something we call freedom, um, but it's something that's uh, resulted in a lot of violence. So, Um, and, and I, and I think that what we see actually is this sort of constant, um, effort to sort of create or invent or imagine that both the church and the state in order to stabilize this. And I think, I don't know, Beth and I haven't talked about this recently, but I, I think that some of Beth's work about the border and stuff, you see this kind of, uh, invention of the U.S., a U.S. state for certain kinds of purposes, um, but it doesn't have the sort of plenary, sort of paternalistic power of the European state. It gets, and the same with the church, the church also gets invented at various moments in order to, um, uh, and and this is something that I've I've written about more elsewhere than I have in this book, Um, but it is true that, that the fact that the majority religion in the U.S. is um, certain kind of small e evangelical Protestantism and comes from the sort of uh, low church or, uh, you know, free church movement, I think also has an effect. So just for example, uh, the associate director of the center that I work in here at IU told me that last week he was walking across campus and he was evangelized by three young students who uh, greeted him and, um, you know, and asked him whether he knew Jesus. And when they learned that he was the associate director of the Center for Religion and the Human, they hastened to say, oh, Christianity is not a religion. Um, Just confirming what uh, Beth and I, you know, (laughs) so uh, uh, that, uh, you know, Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, the other religions would say the same, of course, and there's a long story there about denominating something a religion (laughs) or not, Uh, but I do think there is a distinctive way in which, uh, you know, low church or free church Protestantism narrates itself as not a religion, um, that allows it to have a certain kind of unmarked quality in in the U.S. And lots of people have, have written about this, um, even while, you know, as Beth said, um, you know, in France, um, French secularism, sometimes called laïcité is actually just as Catholic as American, you know, secularism is Protestant, but in different in different ways. Yeah.
1: Yeah. One of the the things um, in the introduction that you write um, that I think kind of dovetails with this nicely, and I hope you forgive me for reading um, a sentence that you wrote back to you, Um, but I think it's really good and I wanna wanna, um, get it right. And so forgive me, (laughs) Um, but you write that um, efforts to promote and institutionalize the protection of private property, capitalism, individualism, democratization, the rule of law, and other staples of the modern legal and political order, all rest on reorderings of the local ways of life, law, and governance, which imply new religious self-understandings and affiliations. I think it's really important. um, I'm a PhD student in religious studies, um, so um, that's kind of the the field that I am swimming in um, a lot. But I think it's really important that religious studies moves in a direction where um, we look at... The, not only the ways um, that all of those things intersect, but as the way that you suggest that they are co-constitutive of each other. Um, so I guess my question for you is, how do you see these um, qualities of modernity, as I, you know, that might be what I call them, that all, how do you see those all working together? Um, and then how does religion play in that? How does all of these, you know, freedom, democracy, capitalism, individualism, all these, things. How are they working together, building each other? What's the role of religion in that? And then how does religion also build them as they build religion, I guess, is my question. This is something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about in my own work. And so I wanted to to get your thoughts on it.
2: I would just say that in order, and there probably isn't a single overarching answer to a question like that. And I think that the, it's funny you picked that sentence because um, it's kind of a provocation because it's so broad and uh, general in so many ways. And I think what comes to mind for me is uh, I think some of the most interesting work, and again, to go back to David's chapter on property, um, which um, Winnie has also picked up in her chapter in Church State Corporation on property. Uh, this This is such a fascinating window into these issues. And so I see that list from my point of view as kind of a provocation, as kind of a way of saying, if you want to understand religion, you want to understand these questions that we're grappling with, here's a few places you might look and they might not be the places you expect or they might not be the first thing that comes to mind. You might want to go and think about uh, rule of law. You might want to think about property. You might want to think about uh, the, what it means uh, to transition you know, from the colonial to a post-colonial order. Um, I just read an interesting manuscript by Rabiat Akande, which is looking at the Nigerian context and very specifically the transition from the colonial to post-colonial Nigeria and what that entailed and what people, kind of the the common narrative that we tell about uh, that transition and the kinds of modern understandings of statehood and sovereignty that go along with it can be quite a different story from the perspective that we're telling here. And I think that she opens up some of these issues Uh, About the ambiguities, the ambivalences of uh, what is perceived by many to be a simple transition to secular statehood and saying, look, you know, actually, this entails a whole host of very complex tradition, uh, transitions and changes and shifts. And we need to try to understand the ways in which religion is implicated in all of them. Differently, so for, it's a context-specific challenge, but it's also a provocation to try to get to some of these big uh, sort of uh, containers in which we have, uh, you know, kind of assigned political and legal order in modernity, and try to understand, you know, how do we think these anew? How do we think them in a way that is fresh with new eyes? that doesn't uh, kind of make all of the assumptions that we're used to making about the politics of religious difference.
0: Yes, I think that one of the interesting things about making this gesture is um, that religion can uh, kind of dissolve in this um, picture in a way that I think is really helpful, but is also challenging. Um, So I don't think any of us think, or I, I know Beth doesn't, that that um, religion can be held as a constant across these or that an independent variable of some kind where uh, we understand religion to have effects as if religion is a thing um, or a stable object. Um, my own view is that one of the, you, you mentioned religious studies, that religious studies as a field is, is an interestingly um, sort of uh, a rogue field or a non-field. Um, it ends up being a place in, in the modern American, particularly, I think, uh, in a distinctive way in the US, um, academy for thinking a lot of things which are not permitted in other places. And that we might say that those things uh, got excluded in part because they were taken to be religious, or that there are ways in which uh, the kind of modern differentiation among um, uh, aspects of of, of sociality um, get to be thought together somehow under the rubric of religion, and I think, and I think this is also for me, particularly as interested in law, that if you look across this volume, not only does religion as a stable object. Uh, dissolve in ways that are really helpful, but so does law so that, you know, it's very conventional in this country and and in, in and also in many religious studies department to teach a course called Law and Religion, and that would be primarily the decisions of the US Supreme Court under the First Amendment. This is a tiny fraction and probably Increasingly unimportant fraction of the conversation and the place where law and religion encounter one another, and uh, and I think you see across our volume, you know, uh, from Nancy Benger's piece on Chicago and the municipal to to Greg Johnson, since David says, but but there's law in all of these, right? At every different level. Um, you know, local to national to international, uh, state law, non-state law, religious law, non-religious law, and so. Uh, yeah, I see. Um, I, now I think I've forgotten what your question is. So I think I'll. <laughs> but anyway, you, you, you mentioned religious studies. You know, I guess you you asked us about this sentence. This, <laughs> as the <laughs> best says, this capacious sentence, which seems to gesture to just about everything. <laughs> Um, yeah, this is one way to rethink, uh, religion is to assume always that there's a religion story. And I would always assume there's a law story and that the two are always intimately related and in some ways interchangeable.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's really important. I, I think to a course that I'm in this semester, um, we're looking at, it's not in religious studies, it's in a journalism program and it's more, Um, like a research methods course. Um, So I'm, you know, in conversation with different people who are reading different things and have different assumptions. And um, one of the things that I'm working on in that class, we were looking at um, social media data. And so I was looking at social media data from the summer around what people are tweeting about with regards to the Supreme Court. Um, And the someone in the class was like, well, I don't understand why you'd be interested in that you're you do religious studies like why would how does that have anything to do with religious studies and i just think you know that was the the this sentence and and kind of this provocation jumped out at me as um an important answer to 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 those kind of questions of like well of course there's like of course people talking on twitter about um roe v wade being overturned has has everything to do with religion and has everything to do with law and has everything to do you know all of these kind of compounding um uh, uh, issues that, that you get at. Um, so that's just a, a little personal side, but that's why that jumped out at me as, as important. Um, I guess my last question for you would be, we started talking about this, um, at the beginning of the, of our conversation about how this volume, um, is very interdisciplinary. Um, there's, you know, the two of you come from different fields. You're writing about religion, the contributors, um, presumably are all, you know, from from different fields and different content areas and kind of where you said bordering <laughs> conversations about um, religion and, and America. Um, how did you find the interdisciplinarity of this volume central to the project? Like, I think it's not other edited volumes that I've bumped into. Um, there's interdisciplinarity there as I think um, it's like, oh, well we should get a sociologist to talk about this or, oh, we should we should throw in a, a journalist or we should throw in, you know? And I think this volume struck me as that the interdisciplinarity wasn't an afterthought that it was central to the argument that you were building um, and kind of the, the exploration that you set out on. Um, so I guess my question is, is that a fair characterization? And then um, how did you, how did interdisciplinarity um, shape what you did?
0: I mean, I don't know what you would say, Beth. I I, I, I think that I'm a little resistant to this question because I don't mm-hmm. think we think in that way quite. Um, in other words, I would say that if this volume is interdisciplinary, that's an effect of our method, which is really driven by the questions that we have. And, um, and the ways in which we're interested in people who don't necessarily stay in their own lane, um, and but I think that a question like, um, you know, how does one account for the fact that um, that this inside outside or at home and abroad dimension seems to be a fairly significant and or important um, aspect of American religion something worth noticing and is that in order to think about this in a capacious multi-dimensional way it involves you know people who use historical methods anthropological methods um people who who come from um you know more theor- theoretically driven or philosophically driven kinds of um conversations and that if that's what interdisciplinarity is that's the result. How would you say it, Beth?
2: So <clears throat> I would say that uh, I agree with all of that. Um, I find that the question of disciplinarity is, is itself very disciplining. Uh, and that it is, in some sense, I find that the disciplines as constituted are relics of precisely the kind of thinking and kind of obsession with order and with power and with control and the, the, all of that, that we are trying to step outside of, not necessarily to overthrow it or to like fight the man or something like that. It's not quite that simple, but rather to say, oh, look, there are those people who really care a lot about disciplines over there. That's fine, That's that's what they do. That's not really what we do. Um, And so I'm interested in them. I'm interested in, for example, the division between political science and religious studies as itself, uh, kind of an interesting and odd convention that reflects some of the very, precisely the very dynamics that we're interested in problematizing and in setting up some, some set of critical apparatuses To grapple with and think with and think against. And so, in a sense, in order to uh, enact the kind of intellectual project that I think we're after here, and I think I'm going back to something that Winnie alluded to earlier, we have to overcome those divides, or at least uh, not necessarily, like I said, get rid of them, but set them in their place or provincialize them, set them as a particular product of of European history, of you know, particular understandings of where theology fits into the university in Germany in the nineteenth century, or you know, and then come back to okay, and then how did religious studies relate to theology? And all of that is a fascinating story. And if you see that as a particular history and the disciplines that we've inherited or received from that history as themselves. Uh, objects that are interesting to study, but by no means, uh, you know, uh, standing outside of time and history and politics and religion, then they become themselves kind of provincialized in a certain sense that I think is helpful. And we can then move to the questions that are really uh, motivating us, uh, which involve engaging with the disciplines. But uh, kind of the last thing I think we would do would be to say, oh, we don't have someone who works on X ex discipline or ex country or ex religious tradition. Um, you know, when I used to work on religious freedom and I would criticize the US Commission on International Religious Freedom, they would say things to me like, well, if we got a Buddhist on the commission, then would you be happy? And, you know, this is the kind of thinking that this sort of, you know, well, if you have the sociologist, then you'll have the complete picture. We're never gonna have the complete picture. The problem with the commission was not that it was missing a Buddhist. Um, the the issues are much, much larger and actually much more complex and I think challenging in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, no, I think that is a um, great answer to, <laughs> to the, um, or a great redirect of the question. So thank you both. Um, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed reading this volume um, and had have had such a lovely conversation. Um, Do either one of you have any last thoughts on the volume that you want to give before we wrap up?
0: Well, I do want to give a a big shout out both to our contributors who we had a lot of fun. Um, That's another reason to get together instead of just doing an edited volume by email. Um, But we learned a huge amount from them and, and really a shout out to them and to Pamela Klassen, who did the Herculean task of writing a concluding essay you know, after all the essays were assembled. So um, this is really, uh, I was gonna say God's work but I don't think um, Pamela would appreciate that. So let me just say that it was just an incredible gift to us that she was willing to do that. And, and I wanna sh- give her a shout out. And i it's always good to talk to our Canadian neighbors
2: and mm-hmm. finally, to Toby Folkman and the Loose Foundation, um, which provided the support that made this possible and also allowed us to kind of sidestep the mandate that they often impose, which is to have that policy relevance. And she was very explicit about giving us the space to think with, which is a nice um, gift. And I'll always be grateful for that.
1: Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.
0: For- bye bye.